You're listening to Your Credit Today with Angela setters Bassard, the real credit queen. It's time to get your creditation on. Tune in, invite your friends and coworkers as we share industry tips, stories, and wealth building strategies. This is A to the N to the G. Let's go. Hey, good afternoon, friends. This is A to the N to the G. You're listening to Your Credit Today. And I am super excited about my guest that I have on the show today. But of course, before I let him speak his mind, you know I have to do a little business. If you have not subscribed to this show, hit that subscribe button and tell all of your friends and family about the amazing tips and information that you're learning from this voice here, A to the N to the G. Now, like I said, I'm super excited about my guest, Jacob Hippenstill. He is a consumer attorney licensed in Arizona. He's a partner and the director of litigation at McCarthy Law PLC, a national law firm that focuses on fighting for the little guy. McCarthy Law fights for justice by suing banks, debt creditors, and collectors and credit reporting agencies for violations of consumer protection laws. Welcome to the show, Jacob. I'm so excited to have you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I'm happy to, to be here and be able to, to you know, talk about this, this shared passion that you and I both have. Absolutely. We, we definitely have talked about that before, and you, you know how passionate I am about this stuff. So it's always wonderful to talk to someone like you, specifically because people and friends and fans out there, you know I've talked about this many, many times, but I had a dream once upon a time, and that was that I wanted to be an attorney. So here I am speaking to my friend who is one, and I am so, so happy to have you. Now, I have a question for you. What inspired you to take on the world of law? Like, you know, like I said, I had a dream and I it never came to fruition, but that's another story. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. I tell the story that when I was five years old, I want to say this was kindergarten, I told people that I wanted to be a lawyer. And if they asked why I wanted to be a lawyer, it was so that I could wear a suit every day. I had no <laughs> idea what a lawyer did, anything about it, but I wanted to wear a suit every day. So I love um, it. That, I think that was the early the early inspiration there, which and and now in my job, I you know, with the exception of having to be in court, I rarely wear a suit, but that's fine. Five year old me was still happy with it. So. <laughs> I love uh, that. I love that. It's funny because I used to have these dreams that I know this is TMI, friends, but I'm just saying it anyways. I used to have a dream that me and my husband would be up late nights on our computers and talking about our cases that we would have. And, you know, life took another journey for me. But you know what, Jacob, I feel like every single day that I get to be an attorney, even though I'm not one, because I fight for people just like you and I talked about. I fight for the justice of the system and what's going on. And so I'm so excited to have you on this show for that reason alone, because this is what you do. So tell me a little bit about you and what you do and, you know, just everything about your practice. I'm a consumer attorney. I mean, everything we do, uh, I said in the intro bio there, I guess you said in the intro bio there, we fight for the little guy. I mean, it's part of our, you might be able to see it behind me. It's part of our logo. We put it everywhere because what we do is we try to stand between consumers, just everyday people and these multi-billion dollar companies who are doing everything they can to 
charge too much interest, make money off of consumers, be incredibly unfair in their contracts and their agreements with consumers. The thing that we focus on primarily is credit reports. And these companies do everything they can to, to well, what seems like to hold folks back, to, to keep people from getting errors removed from their credit report or, or improving themselves by improving their credit health. And so we really look to do everything we can to fight on behalf of consumers to right some of the wrongs that are are in this financial industry. Now, as we know, this industry that we're talking about, when we really, really think about it, it's not really that old. You know, when we think about cool. the inception of TRW, now you're way too young. Okay. You're just a you're just a young buck. But, you know, I remember back in the day when people used to say, oh, my TRW looks like XYZ. And then there was this European company that came and bought them out, Experian. And it's just so interesting to me, the communication in which happens from a creditor to the credit reporting agencies. Now, I could be wrong, okay? But I believe that the credit reporting agencies, more than anything, receive and retain data and information that they receive from their client, who is the creditor. Now, would you say that nine times out of 10, the reason why information is incorrect on a credit report is because of the furnisher, the person who actually sends the information to the agencies? Or have you seen it been on both sides? I do think there are issues on both sides. I think you're right that in a lot of the a lot of the more common credit errors that we see, it, the issue is almost always tracked back to the furnisher not doing something they were supposed to, which doesn't necessarily mean the credit reporting agency didn't do anything wrong. I mean, one of the things that we find in in a lot of these situations where a client has a pretty cut and dried error, you know, something that let's say it's identity theft and it's just not their account, but it's reporting on their credit report. They'll send in police reports and ID theft affidavits and all of these different documents to establish that, look, this account is not mine. And we've seen it time and time again, where everybody dropped the ball, where the furnisher will investigate this and will drag on the investigation for months and months and months, and then come back and say, well, you know what? We did verify that it was yours. How they could have verified that it was, you know, the clients, who knows, because that's they're insane. not looking at documents. Yeah, that's right. insane. I have a situation that is happening like that right now for one of our clients where it's actually going on 13 months. Now, the situation with this particular client, it happened to be where it came out in the wash that it was someone that was working for them. So they knew so much information that that's why there was such a, a, a web of information for the creditor to go through. But nonetheless, the bottom line is that the client is not the one that signed for the application, spent the money, and so on and so forth. So it's just insanity to me that someone would have to spend 13 months out of their time fighting a creditor and being damaged severely by the fact that this particular furnisher or bank refuses to really do anything. And I think that the higher ups, the people, the, the president, the executives, the people inside the bank, I always say to myself, if they really knew what was going on with their employees and how they're just like, I don't want to call anybody out of their name, but they're just not doing their job. 
is really what this comes down to, right? Right, right. Well, and I think part of it also is that the the incentives for for the bank, for the credit reporting agencies aren't in place for them to actually do a good job. I, Ooh, you know, that's I, a good point. Incentive, but the, you know, especially like the 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 employees of a bank who are reviewing disputes. I'm sure they're not bad people, but I'm sure that they have requirements where they have to get through a certain number of disputes in a certain amount of time. And, you know, we've taken those people's depositions before and we've got them, you know, under oath. How many disputes are you supposed to deal with per hour or, or per 10 minutes? And some of these, I mean, it's, yeah, they have to get through six disputes in 10 minutes. How wow. could they possibly even read a dispute letter and look at any supporting documentation in that amount of time? They can't. It's the higher ups there that are setting this up for failure that these people can't actually do good work. And and the consumers are who who gets punished for that. And it's, you know, like we say, it's just not fair. We try to, that's exactly why we we try to fight for our clients in that regard, because they didn't sign up for this. They don't want these errors on their credit report. And maybe there's nobody, you know, the evil genius twisting their mustache, trying to figure out how to how to keep people's credit scores down. But the whole system is, you know, set up in a way that they're not able to review the disputes, correct the errors and do what's right by the consumers. Wow. That's, yeah, that's, that's really mind blowing at the end of the day, when you think about it, it's about production and it's no longer about customer service. I mean, customer service or, you know, making sure that you're doing right by the people that are actually making sure that you get a paycheck every month. Nobody cares anymore. It's just, everything is a number. And that's pretty well, and the sad thing about the customer service is that if you think about the credit reporting agencies, their customers are not consumers, their customers are banks. And so if if it comes down to, you know, do we believe a consumer who sent in all this documentation or do we believe our customer who spends millions of dollars to be able to put their credit reporting information to furnish their information on our credit reports, they're going to lean in favor of the their customer, the bank. And of course. That's why I say, I mean, it's the errors are on all sides, especially in cut and dried types of, of errors. You shouldn't, I mean, by sending a police report to a consumer, a credit reporting agency, or by sending an ID theft affidavit, the account should be removed from your credit report. It shouldn't even take, you know, in the egregious example that you gave of 13 months of investigation, it shouldn't take one month. The credit reporting agency should be able to look at that and say, there's a police report. I got to get it off the, re- the credit report. They don't. Yeah. They're acting in the best interest of their customer, the the bank. So. Well, and then also on the flip side of that, do we have the wonderful world of real fraud to thank for that as well? Because at the end of the day, how many people say, oh, I never used this credit card or, oh, this isn't my account when, you know, it really is their account. It really was the money that they spent. So it's kind of one of those things where it's, you know, 50% sometimes I think they're thinking, well, maybe this really isn't fraud, but yeah. they don't get to make that decision. It's true though, that that is, I mean, even for, for myself and for the attorneys that work for me, when we bring cases claiming identity theft, I mean, we do a lot to, to talk to the clients about what's going on here and what's actually taking place. And what does the last 12 months look like? What's the last two years look like for your finances and try and get a picture of all that? Because I mean, we've had cases that we've, you know, six months into litigation in federal court, our client comes to us and says, I got to tell you that that actually is my account. And 
where are we? You know, we just have to dismiss the case and walk You're away. You're just like, geez, you could have told me this in the beginning. <laughs> exactly. Oh exactly. Well, and you know what? And we're so committed to to helping anybody that needs help that, like, I think for some people that would make them gun shy of, of bringing those types of cases, but we're on to the next one. The, you know, there's plenty of people that need our help and, and we're just on to the next one and, and finding the next person that we can help. So. Yeah. And now that brings me to another type of fraud or identity theft to a certain degree. So as you know, I've been doing this 33 years. So I have heard stories that would make your skin crawl. And some of the stories that I hear are from employers that have had someone that works for them that has stolen their identity. And unfortunately, in this particular situation, they have given the authority to this individual to make payments, to use the credit card once in a while. And then the credit card companies come back and say, hey, you know what? Not our problem. You're the one that gave them the authority to use this account. And of course, you know, this one client that I'm thinking of to the tune of $147,000. Well, of course, he didn't give her the authority to use $147,000. But I also say on the flip side of that is, yo, bro, are you looking at your statements or what? (laughs) But, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, what can you do in that type of scenario or situation? Does that now come become more of a civil case than it does? Yeah, though, I mean. Those get so complicated because yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, everybody's kind of, everybody holds some of the blame there. And, and it's tough because like clearly the business owner in that situation is is a victim of, of fraud. But who's responsible for that is always going to be the question. And, and the bank, I mean, here's the thing. The person who can bear the loss of that is the bank. The bank is the, the multi-billion dollar company who could afford to, to take that hit. Uh, but at the end of the day, there's all these these other issues that come in related to agency and was that person acting as an agent at the time they did this? And and could it be clear to the bank that they weren't acting as an agent in, in that capacity? I think you're right, though. I mean, when it becomes like a huge, huge you know, $140,000 that's outside of the norm of what that person was doing, well, okay, the bank has to have some responsibility there of of flagging that as a potentially unauthorized transaction. I mean, if if I can't go one state over and get gas with my credit card without them turning it off, I, you know, I don't understand how things exactly. like that, they can, you know, they yeah. can flag it. And they have the ability. It's again, it comes back to that kind of if they wanted to do it right by the consumers, they have the ability to do it. It's just they decide not to because they can they can pinch pennies by not having somebody that's actually looking at these transactions and and making sure that that things have been done. We have helped consumers and or uh, uh, business owners in that situation before, and it it is messy. It, it becomes, you know, okay, we're suing the person who defrauded you. We're suing the bank. We're suing just everybody trying to get it sorted out. So, yeah, it's, it's, I've never had one of those be an easy case. Those are always things that a couple of years to get that unwound. But again, yeah. though, that's I mean, that's why we like doing what we do is because I think a lot of people will, will try. You know, consumers, small business owners, they'll try to do the right thing, try to go through the bank, try to get things fixed, and they find that they just can't. As unfortunate as it is, there are, I think everybody understands that we live in a pretty litigious society. I mean, everybody's going to sue everybody for anything all the time. We definitely don't want to add to that. But at the same time, 
there's not a lot that gets a big bank's attention outside of a lawsuit sometimes. And so, you know, we, we try not to, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. We try not to have that be our model to get things fixed, but we get results with, with lawsuits a lot. And so I don't know. I mean, that's one thing that if you go through all the right steps, a lot of times you can get things corrected on on your credit report or get errors removed and things like that. But sometimes you just can't. In that situation, that's kind of what we live for. That's what we what we like to see. Well, yeah. not like to see, but that's where we like. I that's get where what we you're saying. Yeah, provide I the most help. <laughs> now, okay. So now let's back up to another question. You became a lawyer or you went to law school. What there's so many different different ways to do law. And what made you choose this? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> uh, you know, and all all through, so I come from just like a family of entrepreneurs. Everybody in my family's, you know, a small business owner. And and all through law school, my focus was business. I was going to be, you know, I have the. I, I think I probably do still have the business plan I wrote up prior to law school of, you know, being outside general counsel for a bunch of small businesses. And then one of the one of the internships I got during law school was working for the Small Business Administration, which I thought was going to be, you know, helping people find funding and helping out small business owners. That's not what happened. I got stuck in the collection department collecting on defaulted small business loans. Oh, God. <laughs> and so there's nothing that quite gives you the appreciation for what oh, I do now. That, that had to be tough. That had yeah. to be tough. Yeah. And the worst part of it, so this is actually another wrinkle of it that I forget a lot. But so the specific loans that I was collecting on were disaster relief loans. So everybody I was calling just lost their business to a hurricane and can't pay oh. and they lost their house. And now I'm trying to get money out of them or, or trying to garnish their wages when they just bounced back and got a job again. And it was terrible. I mean, I, I came home every day telling my wife, I think I'm going to quit. I don't think I'm going to do it anymore because <laughs> this is just awful. Uh, but I stuck that out of the small business administration and came out of that and came out of law school thinking, I, I want to help people, not businesses, not banks, not lenders. I want to help people. And, and coming into to the role I'm in now, that was like the perfect fit because we at McCarthy Law, we're all about, I mean, this is probably the fourth time I've said it, but we're all about fighting for the little guy. And that I have to say that that feels great. It's one of those things where you know there's lots of ways to practice law. There's lots of different roles within the legal industry. Helping consumers is one that is, I think, often underappreciated. It's, you know, it's by far the most satisfying thing I've seen. I mean, I have a lot of friends that are lawyers in different practice areas, and and I don't know that any of them have the same job satisfaction as what I do, what the other partners here, what the other attorneys that work for us do. It's all about helping people. So Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. Now, when you were growing up, what kind of financial advice did you receive or maybe wish you would have received? My parents did this with me, my siblings, with a bunch of my cousins. We all, this might have come from some other financial guru, but I've just always thought of it as being like my parents' advice. But we all got put on like an envelope system. So you'd get your allowance or when you got your first job, you got your paycheck and you'd cash your paycheck and you'd split it out into the envelopes for this is for savings and this is for yeah, whatever, your fun envelope. Here's your clothes envelope and, and a very strict budget because when, when the envelope was empty, there's no more money. And so right. I think from a, a very early age, not, not ever seeing credit as an option for anything and just doing 
you know, the envelope strategy. I even had, I mean, like in, in law school, getting student loans to cover, you know, expenses and all that. I, I had a spreadsheet where I spread it like, this is for books. This is for tuition. This is for, you know, every little, every cent of it. Yeah. I've told that to other people now, anytime, you know, even clients and stuff, if they're saying they have, have issues of keeping their budget under control, I'll go back to it and say, well, you know, get yourself a bunch of envelopes and start labeling them. And, you know, and that's, <laughs> and that's really good because that's a tangible approach. And now, as we know, into the future where we're at right now, I was just talking to a young lady yesterday about how she has all of her credit cards and information on her phone. There is no more cash or writing a check or even though there is. Okay, but I'm saying in these generations, these new generations, these these kids or young adults, I should say, don't use the system the way maybe we have used it in the past. And I can only see that in the future, in the very near future, maybe, you know, three to five years, that's going to be most of us. I don't ever carry cash personally. You know, I mean, I'll use my debit card or whatever the case may be. And of course, because we're in the business that we're in, we're ultra conservative and always thinking about it. And by the way, kudos and snaps up to your parents for teaching you that envelope system because that was so valuable. One of the things I tell everybody is that it is so ultra important to teach our children and the youth about this information because too many people don't grow up with parents like you did, Jacob, who taught you the values of money, finance, and credit. And of course, where I come from, I believe that the credit system is really the American dream. On At the end of the day, credit was used as a tool. And a lot of very wealthy people have used credit just like that as an investment tool to build wealth. So when we understand how to use it as that tool, then it becomes just that and it's not a means to have extra money. So it's amazing that you had that experience so that it taught you to never be in debt and to never take on more than you can chew, so to speak. So I'm glad that you're sharing that with the people that you love and the people that you get to lead. That's amazing. Now, can you tell me a little bit about the best advice that you ever received from someone and how has that helped you in your career or investing in your future? Yeah, that's good. I had I played sports always growing up and I had a coach one time say, this has been applied to everything in my life since then. It's supposed to be hard. When you're learning new things, when you're trying to grow, it's supposed to be hard. That's the point. That's you growing. Yeah. And I think that's like a, a perspective that I think I try to pass that on to people and my kids now I try and pass that on to them because it's, I think it's growth is uncomfortable. Any kind of development is, is uncomfortable. Learning things is uncomfortable. Being bad at things because you're new at it is uncomfortable, but that's the point. It's supposed to be hard. And I think that mindset shift of, ah, this is hard. I don't want to do it. This is hard. That's why I'm doing it. That's gold. That helps you in everything because it shifts that mindset to something's happening to me or I'm growing right now. That's that's why I'm feeling this is because I'm doing something. Absolutely. So I heard someone say one time, is something happening to you or is something happening for you? Mm, yeah. It's, it's kind of like what you're saying. So I yeah. love that. And I love that coach. How old were you when you 
when you heard that? Uh, maybe 12 or 13, pretty young. I mean, it was, it's the kind of thing where like at the time, I don't think it had the effect that it did later in life, looking back on it, thinking like, oh, right. That's what, that's what he was yeah. talking about. <laughs> yeah. And that's really good because I tell people a lot. One of my things was my fourth grade teacher. And we would say, Mr. Ferguson, do we have to do that? And he was such a morbid guy. He would say, friend, the only thing you have to do in life is die. So remember that. <laughs> and it was just like, okay, okay. And you're in the fourth grade and you're thinking, wow, that is the answer. <laughs> to a bunch of fourth graders. That's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so what's the best advice that you have given to your followers or your peers? Yeah, I think it's got to be a combination of those things. I try to do so much with, you know, especially a lot of our clients that we deal with are in a situation where something's happened to them. You know, somebody's done something unfair. You know, a lot of times it's these big banks that we keep talking about or the credit reporting agencies. I think getting people to shift their mindset into, you know, like we just talked about, something is either is happening to me, which is a negative thing. You feel like you're, you know, you're being attacked by the world to there's something I can do about this. Well, here's the steps I can take. Having this kind of growth mindset about how to how to approach things in your life. I think that's like the, you know, it doesn't it doesn't have a good little sound bite that goes along with that. But I think coaching people through that that thought process and their headspace shifted to or from kind of that, you know, I don't want to say the victim sort of Mentality but it is. Or it really but. is at the end of the day. And I, I think some of as we grow, like you're talking about, it's so easy to become the victim. And in some of these cases, people really are the victim, you know, yeah. but it's like you said, it's really having that mindset of no matter what's happening, you know, to me right now, let's not have it happen in me, because then that's when your whole world turns upside down. And we both deal with that a lot. So I love that. Now, what do you think has to change for people to become more financially fit? Yeah, that's a good question. I think a lot of it, I think, is financial literacy. I think there's just a lot of, of people out there that just don't have the basic understanding of, of budgeting, of how credit works. I mean, I know you said before, I, which I do agree with, you know, credit is a tool and that's how a lot of a lot of the businesses, a lot of the brands that we're all familiar with, a lot of the services that benefit all of us were built by using credit and leveraging you know, the, their business. But I also think the whole credit industry is, I mean, we, we cynically refer to them as you know, they're drug dealers. They give you a taste of it and they want you coming back. And I think that's, you see that with promotional interest rates or 0% for 12 months or, or 0% on balance transfers and all these things that are just designed to get get you into living beyond your means and living off of credit. And then those promotional interest rates go away and now they're back to these, you know, these abusive interest rates that are, are really not designed for you to pay those off. And we, we, heard, we have a friend that runs a collection firm and, and this is secondhand, but passed on to us that it's a, a VP of lending for a very large credit card company discussing the people that pay their bills, pay their debts off every single month as deadbeats because they don't make money off of those people. They want the people who are, are stuck on the hamster wheel of minimum payments and the interest keeps growing. And, and the way you get into that position is just not having that financial literacy. There's situations that arise where people have you know, medical issues or things like that. Granted, that, that could happen to, to anybody and, and hopefully it doesn't happen to, 
you know, us to any of your, your listeners, things like that. But the vast majority of the people in those situations are there because they got a taste of credit. They started living beyond their means. And now they're stuck on this credit cycle where they can't get off. So, well, and yeah. that is because, Jacob, what I always say all the time is that it's because people don't have a plan. Because if we don't have a plan, then we plan to fail. I've done some segments about having a credit plan because too many people have a financial plan. They have a death plan. They have all of these different plans, but they don't have a plan on how they're going to use their credit or if they're going to use it. My grandmother, who was a Holocaust survivor, and sorry, friends, I know you've heard this story many times, but I'm very proud of it is she used to, every time it was time for us to go school shopping, she would go to her freezer and she'd pull out her block of credit cards. And she would tell me the story every time. We don't use these credit cards or put them in our wallet because if we do, when we walk in the store and we see the bright, you know, Louboutins with the red bottoms, we're going to buy those even though we can't afford them. So it goes back to what you're saying as far as having that literacy of making a plan, understanding, you know, when you get a new credit card in the mail, I do this all the time. People think I'm wacko. But the thing is, is that there is an instruction manual for that credit card for a reason. And it, we have become a society of people where we get these new things, we get these new toys, and we think we know it all, and we never read the manual, so we really don't know what to expect. And then when things break, we're like, how did that happen? Well, it's because you didn't read the manual or have a plan. So it's exactly what you're saying about having financial literacy. I applaud some of the counties because a lot of the newer high schools and the private high schools are now having these plans where they're having financial literacy. They're having banks come, of course, which, you know, nothing against the banks, but the banks are the ones that are coming in and they're teaching and training these kids about having a savings account, having a checking account. What does that mean? What is compound interest? And I think that's wonderful because God knows we needed it when I was in school. You know, and I'm sure I don't think you had it when you were in the school either. No, no. Yeah. And I, I think having that understanding of how all the pieces work allows you to then, you know, do what you're saying of, of having a plan and having some intentionality behind the way you use credit. And you can't do that. You can't use credit as a tool if you don't understand how it works. And, and that's where that financial literacy piece comes in. So, yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where they, you know, you don't learn how to, how to keep track of your finances. You don't learn how to file your own taxes. You don't learn any of these things that you actually need to know in life. And you're kind of just left to your own devices. And I think for some things that's fine, but for being left to your own devices in an industry where these multi-billion dollar companies spend so much time thinking about how to get you to spend more of your money with them. I mean, that you're just unprepared. You're, you're, <laughs> you're walking in blind to, to the wolf den in that that situation. You're a so. chicken crossing the road. <laughs> right. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me one thing that you didn't know about credit even before you got into the business that you know now that is really valuable in your personal life. Yeah, that's good. I mean, so much of, of what I focus on in the day to day is is credit reports. So I think it has to be related to credit reports. I, I'm just amazed every time we 
take a deposition from somebody that works at a bank or a credit reporting agency, or every time we get like an affidavit in, in litigation about kind of their processes on, I'm just amazed at the, the, yeah, you and I kind of talked about it before, you know, if, if, if I was a bank and you were a consumer and you said, Hey, this is identity theft. Well, I have a ton of things I would look into to, to validate that. But then finding out that, well, actually the, the banks don't do any of those things or, or actually there's not even a process in place for, for reviewing these things. I, I think that's always shocking to me. I think one of the most shocking things that when I started doing Fair Credit Reporting Act litigation is finding out how the credit reporting agencies do their dispute process. And so <laughs> in my mind, I thought that would be people that are specially trained for this and they you know, they investigate things and, and why wouldn't it be that way? Because this is really important. This is people's finances and their credit score. And, and then come to find out that actually all of this just gets, it's all done overseas. It's all, it's all done this incredible pace. I mean, I said before, you know, some of the banks have dispute investigators that have to do five, six, seven disputes every 10 minutes. The, the overseas dispute investigators for the credit reporting agencies, I mean, they have to do multiple dispute reviews every single minute. They're not reading anything. They're not yeah. looking into it. But, you no. know, I, I don't know. That that was very shocking to me. I just, do other people know this? Because this seems kind of concerning. <laughs> this right. is the way this works. Yeah, absolutely. And what's interesting about that is that these people that are looking at this are not even using this credit system that they're doing the work for. So how is it that they can make a decision on something that they don't even use or practice? Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. I mean, yeah, not even in the system, not, you know, they don't have a credit report with Experian. They don't have a credit report with Equifax. So yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. So now the last question I have for you is, what would you want to pass on to the youth? Not about, you know, how the system works, but you you talked about the envelope system for you and and how important that was because basically that showed you how important it was actually to save because you said once you went to the envelope if there was nothing in there you're like wait a minute where did it go <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know so what would you say is so important to our youth to our listeners who are younger or that have children, what do you, I, I don't know, you, you probably have young children, right? Yeah. My kids are very young. So, okay. Yeah. So like when your kids become, let's say 14, what are some of the things that you would want to pass on to them? Yeah. I think the thing that, that I think is most important to me that I would want the next generation to know to the people who come after us is that if, if you're looking at something, you don't like the way it works, or you don't like the, you know, the system that's in place, you don't like, you know, how things are functioning, that you can do something about it. There's ways mm. to change these things. We're talking about these banks that have these terrible processes. Well, they change those processes based on getting sued a bunch of times. And so people like me, lawyers that, you know, bring the same lawsuit for, you know, hey, this system doesn't work. We're going to sue you over and over again for this until you fix it. That's changing it. Or, you know, people who decide to get involved in you know, community activism or politics or, or whatever it is that they can change the, the, the state of affairs as they stand now. It doesn't have to be that way. You can, you can fix things, you can change things, which is actually something I think is, I don't know. I see that in like our younger employees and stuff. They're so quick to, they all have political opinions about things. They all have causes that they're behind. I think that is something that's very instilled uh, already, which is great because, you know, it, there's there's room for that. There's room for that change and and for those 
those opinions. So. Well, now is the time because with social media, we have this freedom of speech, so to speak. I mean, you know, going back to just being taught things, one thing that just makes me want to pull my hair out is all the TikToks and, you know, the Instagram lives of these experts and gurus that are giving information. Don't you think it is so important to source the information and where you're getting it from? Because so many people are being led down a rabbit hole that has no end. That's a great point. I, you and I probably haven't talked about it, but I get requests all the time from people who are in this industry and are experts in this industry to be on whatever their their thing is. And usually it's a TikTok or like a Facebook Live that they want, they want me to be on. But then I'll look at what they're talking about and their advice is just terrible. And so <laughs> like, we usually, we turn those around and say, I'm not going to be on your your TikTok, but I'll, you know, if you want to come in for a training, I can, I can teach you how the FCRA works. <laughs> And so well, I do think that like me being here talking to you, I do I know the advice that you gave, but it's important to make sure that the advice you're getting is real advice and that you're not just going in circles because it's hard enough to get things fixed when you're doing it the right way. If you're chasing your tail with these, I don't want to be too disparaging about it, but like with these schemes to get things off your credit report or to, it doesn't work. And, and yeah. yeah, I mean, and there's a lot of these out there that are People spending hundreds of dollars a month for their financial guru who's doing nothing for them. Yes. And that person has hundreds of thousands of followers. I'm amazed that social media is like a gift and a curse with that because there's a lot of information out there. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, There's just a lot of bad information out there too. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. Well, is there anything that you would like our listeners to know about your firm? And also, can you tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you? I think as far as what to know, just know that if you have a credit situation that you've been dealing with for, for quite some time, that, that you haven't been able to get it, get it resolved or get it solved, there's help out there. We, we use the federal courts all the time to, to help people get their credit report corrected or, or correct some financial wrong that they've experienced. There's not laws that protect for everything, but a lot of situations can be helped with uh, you know a consumer lawyer and, and some federal consumer protection laws. You're a, a you know ally of ours in, in this industry, and and we talk about these types of things and how to help people, and and we have other groups that we do that with, and that's great. But that's not the only way to get in touch with us. I mean, you can you can come to us directly with with issues. We're McCarthyLawyer.com. That's our website. That's the easiest way to find us. And yeah, we're you know we're here fighting for the little guy. And and if if anybody has a situation that they think is is along those lines, that's the type of thing we can do. I, I'm in Arizona. I, that's where our main headquarters is. We have attorneys all around the country, and you know, just about anywhere somebody's at, we can we can help them or find somebody to help them. Where our firm is part of the the National Association of Consumer Advocates, which is consumer attorneys that this is all they focus on, and and you know, we all compare notes and figure out how to get better at this. If we don't have an attorney that's that's near you, I'm sure we can find somebody through through NACA that can help folks. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a guest here on Your Credit Today. Hey, friends and fans, you heard it here first. This is A to the N to the G. You're listening to Your Credit Today. And Jacob and Angela are out. See ya.